Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another, what I think is going to be a pretty cool edition of Paytech Talk. So we're going to discuss payments and the travel and leisure industries today. And I'm Elliot Lyons. I'm one of your co-hosts. And I'm your other co-host, Emily Robita. And who do we have sitting across from us in our studio? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no pressure. Hi, my name is Sandra Mianda. I run a payment consultancy called Paperwork. Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you for having us. I mean, honestly, if you're talking about payments and fintech, then I have to be here. So my name is Pragya, and I keep telling everyone it might just get too much, but it's like Prague, like the city, and then yeah, like saying yes to Prague. Who says no to Prague? So it's like Pragya and uh, Pragya Johari, and I work in fintech. I have always been working in fintech. At present, I'm working uh, in the product industry, and I'm working for Booking.com. So yeah, travel fintech tech product you i think we have the right people in the room to get, uh, get this started for sure definitely so to start off we want to know since covid ended and travel has bounced back yeah. how has payments changed and how has the payments kind of sphere changed with the new maybe increased travel or or whatever since since covid yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, like in terms of travel, it has definitely picked up. Uh, like even though despite of there were many new hobbies that people picked up during mm-hmm. pandemic, yeah. there was one thing that was a key outlier and that was like travel because people wanted to continue to travel. And uh, because of COVID, there were restrictions. People could not go out and about. And they had to be really conscious that they don't go into very crowded spaces. Yeah. One of the many like funny things was that they really wanted to go to places that are less crowded. So no one was going for like Paris or Amsterdam. I know I love Amsterdam. I live here. (laughs) But, you know, because of COVID and the restrictions, they wanted to keep themselves safe, but at the same time be able to enjoy uh, whatever the world has got to offer. Um, So that was like one of the key trends that uh, we see like during pandemic and post-pandemic as well. And I think what I found also interesting is that there's been um, an emergence of new categories and new profiles because, like you said to your point, having been um, you know isolated, people kind of were longing at the same time mm-hmm. to be back into socializing and interacting. And so there was this um, kind of a jargon blazer, right, where we then see new packages um, sort of emerging from travel suppliers whereby they were offering people to come and spend a day in an hotel room, mm-hmm. but just as a day kind of you know you do your work right (laughs) interesting stuff right and you see like subscriptions and memberships to kind of give you like a free pass to visit um you know certain cities in certain countries all included that you can make as many trips as you want Mm -hmm. within a specific year in japan they did that i thought like that's brilliant and so that's been really um a concept direct consequences of covid right adapting the offer to capture somehow that kind of new trends in between leisure Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. business Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like it was like a really plus plus for the industry as well, mm-hmm. because uh, one thing was that people now, once restrictions were lifted, they were ready to spend their cash. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the yep. cash became something that was, you know, that is like when it comes to a bargain, cash become, became yep. secondary and the right. quality became the first thing. So people were really uh, agreeing, like wanted to spend cash. And this is probably the easier one. More complex one was that they were uh, the bargain that was about the possibility of time because mm-hmm. time is finite. So when that ended, they were like, okay, all out, uh, you know, like the YOLO thing actually became real. 
<laughs> you know, you're right. And and with that, you know, it very much kind of like tapped into the tailoring of the mm-hmm. experiences because mm-hmm. what we've seen is pre-COVID, of course, the major distributors, travel distributors were kind of like, you know, major part of the, the, the travel players or the travel ecosystem. But post-COVID, as everybody was kind of like fighting for this, you know, marginal gain and, and, and budget, you know, mm-hmm. from everyone, um, there was much more direct um, initiatives, right, to interact with the, the end mm-hmm. consumer, the end travelers, to know their preferences and to really kind of elevate the experience so that when they book or when they kind of experience whatever travel supplier, they'd have a very different yeah. uh, premium sort of feeling that, that would kind of start building loyalty and kind of bring them back direct to them, right? As opposed to go through an indirect channel. Right. If yeah. you come to mm-hmm. us, this is what you get, right? Yeah. So yeah, precisely catering to mm-hmm. um, those um, extras. Everybody was kind of looking for, yeah, now we're back into mm-hmm. the business as usual, yeah. but we want that little different, right? Mm-hmm. The little mm-hmm. things that makes you right. enjoy and, you know, yeah. and feel that you're getting value for the right. spend. Of course. And so are there some payments trends that we're seeing now that we're coming out of the pandemic that might relate to travel at all? I think digital, right? Like digital is something. (laughs) Yeah, digital. Like when COVID happened, everything was digital. There was a huge shift in like adopting digital payments and fintech being like really huge. Like because even if you're not a company who is a fintech, you need to have your own fintech because to cater to that market who's stuck with digital and digital, I mean, let's be honest, it's really very easy to use. It's easy to use. It's user friendly. You can understand. It's quick, fast, seamless. And somehow we just trust technology. Like whilst, why do I need to put cash in my pocket somebody could just you know a pickpocket could steal it so additional option became like it was a very feasible and a good psychological option also for all the customers so that Mm -hmm. trend it just increased and now there are like markets out there which did not even have digital adoption which is increasing like crazy and it's like for all companies with all regulators are also like trying to have those all NFCs and all those uh, kind of medium of payments, which can increase. Um, Amsterdam, we know that it's out there, but other countries, it right. becomes very right. huge. Yeah, you know, and, you know, to the point you, you're raising around cross-border, I think that's been a really important shift for any payment player because from essentially being accustomed to a certain clientele with the digital, you kind of all of a sudden are catering for new profile mm-hmm. type of customers. Mm-hmm. So that comes the currency into, into the equation, but also yeah. other payment types that are very much prevalent mm-hmm. in their regions. So everyone had to kind of up their game mm-hmm. in terms of, going beyond like your usual, you know, credit card, banks, you know, transfers mm-hmm. and, and, and items like that. And, you know, regions like Latin America, for example, has been a really mm-hmm. interesting use case because they are heavily cash you know, yes. dominated as, yeah. as payment mm-hmm. instruments. But then you've seen that they have integrated or transition cash-based payment mm-hmm. method, meaning that now all of a sudden that consumer base becomes mm-hmm. a target, right? That yep. you want to connect to, you want to bring into, you know, this side of the world, whichever sides of the world. And so for uh, PSPs, I think the sophistication that that dictated has definitely been a result of of COVID, but equally for the payment service suppliers or providers, it also added, you know, complexity to the ecosystem. Yes. Because we're talking about much more layers, parameters that you then need to cater for and be on top of. And and that's what led itself to orchestration, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the big word. Correct. That's the big word. Yeah, Yeah, that's in the room. (laughs) <laughs> all of a sudden you got to be on top of all of, all of that and and that essentially also drives um multi-psp strategy right was mm-hmm. before you would just be content yeah. to have right. one that would service 
you know, kind of like a bunch of markets. Uh, whilst today with COVID, it's kind of like, well, you really want to get closer to the local nuances and mm-hmm. players. Right. You know, and trails mm-hmm. and things like yeah, that. And also for business continuity as well. So if, say, one PSP goes down, then you oh, need to have a backup option because payments cannot stop. <laughs> Like imagine right. that you are on one site and let's say, for example, Amazon, you're shopping something and oh, your payment does not go through and it happens at the same time because it's Amazon. Everyone's mm-hmm. buying it. Millions yes. of customers and the payments yeah. just shuts down. So it's very important to have that business continuity as well, that if sure. one system does not work, you have multiple options. And that too scattered across different regions, different geographies, mm-hmm. different yeah. payment methods, currencies, like Sandra mentioned. Yep. Yes. It's funny because payments are like kind of a complex thing, but when you add in different countries mm-hmm. and different products across those countries and different payment preferences mm-hmm. in those countries, that adds another layer on top of that. And mm-hmm. that makes the sort of dealing with that provision that orchestration provides like a really yeah. key part of any sort of payments mix. I can imagine for like a, a travel platform mm-hmm. or just even a retailer yeah. as well to deal with that uh, complexity. So what are some other ways like PSPs can deal with this complex sort of payments landscape besides orchestration and obviously offering all the payments methods yeah. that are in the countries where they do business. Is there anything we, we left on the table? Well, you know, that's a really good question, but I don't think it's one where you'd have the one answer fits all. Um, you know, not dismissing how important orchestration is. Of course. I, I really think that this is really the way that has emerged to essentially give the control back to not just the PSP, but also the merchants. Because pre-COVID, right, the mentality was pretty much um, around what they used to call um, omni-channel, right? Yep. Omni-channel, right. one provider does everything, online, offline, airport, in-flight, whatever, <laughs> right? So that was really the trend. But then what COVID showed is that you do this, COVID happened, that provider's got, you know, different threshold of, you know, risk appetite, they cut you off the portfolio, you get yourself really stuck. And travel, it's a really interesting case because it's by design the most global segment, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. The, the, the most complex and, and ex- extensive requirement, right? So they have that very particularity that means that this is almost like a blueprint, right, in terms of, you know, shaping a little bit like where and how is the best practices, right, in terms of managing and, you know, your, your PSP relationship. So what I'm saying today, besides the orchestration, in any case, is that multi-layered sort of strategy, whether it's, you know, the kind of like... Um, targeted at PSPs or whether it's targeted at rails or whether it's targeted at countries. So it's very much kind of dictating the, the providers becoming closer to understanding mm-hmm. really what are their core markets. Because going this one all-in-one approach where you would have one servicing everything, it is also very costly, right? Mm-hmm. It's costly, right. It's, it's a huge risk. So now what you see is that a real sophistication in the approach that could be led by, as I said, it could be just the payment method. It could just be the, um, you know, the... You know, if, even the channels, you know, mm-hmm. where the cost the consumers are, are, are handing. So they take the control because they then decide how they want to service that, who they want to pass that mm-hmm. through, mm-hmm. and they essentially drive the best return because this is almost a way to A-B test yeah. everything that it's at your disposal. All of a sudden, you've got a tool of different options right. mm-hmm. and you play it up the way 
it makes sense for you. Yeah. Right? yeah. And also like regulations and compliance, like PSPs make the world easier for all the businesses right. because they know the compliance, they adhere yep. to those compliance rules and you can just plug in and you know, use whatever facilities or features they have to offer. And coming to Elliot's point, uh, like did we miss anything? We missed the whole <laughs> freelance <laughs> segment. Like earlier, fintechs <laughs> used to target B2B. Right. Like they would yes. go for retailers, right. they would go mm -hmm. for these travel companies, but now freelancers want their own digital money. So they are mm -hmm. catering to also those customers and how to get their money from to a, maybe it could be a wallet and then how money flows back from the wallet to like their bank accounts. So that's a whole new customer experience uh, uh, landscape that fintechs needs to now figure out because, wow. uh, you know, you basically what COVID taught is you can work from anywhere. So people right. just right. literally started working from anywhere. So mm -hmm. and while working, what do you need to survive? Money. Money. You need a bank account. You need a bank account. Yeah. Yeah. That means you need payment. Exactly. Yes. And if you're a freelancer, oh, wow. that's where FinTech caters to that. How do, how do I handle the B2C customer space? Yeah. Gig economy, right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's a, I, that's something I never, mm -hmm. I never thought about, but obviously that is the future of part, yeah. at least part of the future mm. of work. So in this complexity, I can imagine partnerships also play a role, whether they're like technology partnerships mm -hmm. or just like retail partnerships mm -hmm. between two different retailers who yeah. want to like capture a certain segment yeah. or a certain vertical. So can you talk a little bit about that? Especially? Of course, absolutely. So, and that's a very, very good point uh, because one of the things also that COVID did was like, I, we briefly touched upon earlier was quality. So yeah. now the retailers also need to serve to that inherent need of giving more importance to the values. Mm -hmm. So like having sustainable products. So be having things like how do you offset your carbon footprint? So it's for those one. kind of things, like even if you're booking, for example, flights, then how do you club that particular option? Because now uh, people genuinely want to like pay for those options, like being able to reduce the carbon footprint, uh, more sustainable yes. options of right, living, of like like even hotels and accommodation properties. They also need to have those like, OK, I'm using recyclable plastic, yes. I'm using cutlery, <laughs> which you don't need yeah, to sustainable throw, shipping, yeah. so. sustainable yep. stuff. And we also need to like verify at every stage that if uh, you know someone says that's there is it really there because that's what customers want right. and that's an experience to do that you need to ensure it's there so those are kind of the partnerships and uh, things that um, you know all I believe that everyone is doing that that's that's interesting because it seems like there's both complexity on like sort of the technical side of how do people pay for things in places that they're going that they're not yet <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and it seems like there's complexity on Actually, knowing what the customer yeah. wants out of any sort of travel experiences is actually getting harder to do. Yeah. And as we know, data is everything mm -hmm. these days. So I guess how are companies figuring it out, what their consumer or potential consumers want and how do they find potential consumers? Because obviously data is everywhere, like IoT stuff, mm -hmm. phones, apps, like everything's we're constantly sending I mean, we're just data, yeah. we're just mm -hmm. swimming in data and we're, we're creating yeah. so much data for a retailer or a travel or a booking platform to kind of pick. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you, where do you focus? That's yeah. my question is, how do you yeah. focus? Like, obviously sustainability is big yeah. and so CO carbon offset. That's kind of like, mm -hmm. that's kind of obvious, but yeah. obviously we don't really need a lot of numbers to... Mm -hmm. Uh, to, to support that. But no, I mean, data, that's like, you don't need data to support no. that people want sustainable like, options. Of yeah, course. but yeah. like other add-ons, how do like, because I bet you there's things that are sort of included in travel packages that I would be like, oh, well, that's oh, kind of like, like yeah. how did you, like, that's something that, like, yeah, like how did like, you figure out that that was a part of the, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> how do you create that eureka moment mm -hmm. with people when it's like, 
oh, I didn't even know that I needed that, but that's really cool. Yeah. Like, how, how does that... I think that the whole old school mechanism of like just reaching out to the customer, like doing interviews, mm-hmm. ah, research, yeah. talking okay. to them, that always stays. So that is something, <laughs> that, is something that stays. Uh, you know, like we have, uh, like every company has like teams who essentially reach out to the customers, they reach out to the partners. When I say partners, it's more on like, for example, the accommodation providers, the flights, uh, like the Kindle authors on Amazon or the Amazon Prime Video providers, you know, Disney, right. all those become the partners so it's very important for all these teams to reach out to the partners on and the customers and to understand what their pain point is how can we cater better to them what's your existing experience on the platform and what can we do better and based on that comes out how we develop our product uh, you know innovative solutions right. and how to serve these market segments and these uh, things one other thing is uh, whatever happens on the platform already so like for example say if you're a customer and you're trying to maybe make a travel uh, reservation and you just reach to the last point and you don't pay you right. just you know right. you, you abandon. just add stuff to the itinerary yeah. and you just don't pay and you abandon from there that's a data point and we said yeah, you can course. see that okay these are x number of uh, you know x percentage of customers actually are not like the uh, customer conversion is not there mm-hmm. and then how do you cater to that right. so then there are options like for example the buy now pay later because those are probably that market who's yeah. not sure they're like oh if i pay up then i have mm-hmm. to make the travel but with buy now pay later they can decide later with the options of like uh, being able to cancel Mm-hmm. like free cancellation they can right. make like three four options i want to stay in the city center no i want to hike maybe i want to stay <laughs> far away oh i have to do too much travel i want to stay near the airport yeah they can take three options and then later they can decide cancel all keep one all those kind yeah. of things so that's also how data is used to see at which point is customer actually abandoning is it to, to do with payments is it to with, do with the options that you have right. on like booking reservations right. uh, those kind of things yeah. and i think data you know it's me another of the buzzword right it's like data yeah. is a new currency and stuff it's exactly absolutely overwhelming sure. i think the industry when you look from a compliance perspective um in terms of you know here in europe gdp yes absolutely and, um you know the way the schemes are adapting in terms of chargebacks because of course i mean the other elephant in the room the chargebacks <laughs> that literally just had a spin of its own it's going all of a sudden that became prime seat right mm-hmm. in terms of that was the actual process refunding chargeback right. versus sales coming in and no organization was actually set up to deal with the sheer volume of you know requests that came and that posed a certain issue not issue but obvious challenge around data because on one hand the consumer would come request a refund on the other hand they go to mm-hmm. insurers and do um you know initiate the chargebacks and those right. two processes start kicking in and as you are dealing with this with the lack of visibility data point where is things were at what stage and you've got that times thousands huge huge, huge impact right so that was one of, of of the the area that i felt that's where data needs to become because there's the data where nice to you know nice to have ie yeah, personalizing tailoring the experience etc but then this critical aspect of data that's still missing in the processing not missing but being captured but not passed across meaning that the other party are sitting on you know incomplete information to enable them to probably format past certain message because everything's done through message pass mm-hmm. yeah it's worse and so data for me, it's the, there's the compliance piece, there's the nice to yeah, tailoring the experience, mm-hmm. etc. But then there's also the irrelevance of, okay, 
a lot of companies got a lot of access of those data and the way they, you know, utilize with AI or whatever, pushing, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you know, it's got so many different buckets, right? Yeah. Because yeah, data is everything, but equally at the same time, it's serving operational purpose. Equally, it's like, okay, let's grow more and get more customers. But then there's also the, oh, let's do every, let's capture everything we can. And let's just make something out of that. And you bombarding with like, you know, different type of offers that are, you know, essentially led right. through all sorts of, you know, other technology. The one point that I also wanted to add was... <laughs> What's this go ahead. She's so no, passionate. No. Yes, She's so passionate. No, no, please go ahead. Yeah. It's the frustration talking. <laughs> um, and now I forgot the point, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I just had one point around the data because it's such a huge, huge piece of it. Uh, maybe it's going to come back to me. Mm-hmm. You carry on. Okay, fair. <laughs> so... You talked about pain points, talked about oh. chargeback. Want to know kind of if the pandemic behavior changed chargebacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you mentioned, uh, Prague, you mentioned yeah. uh, BNPL, and that's sort of like, yeah. not like a, a loophole, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an encouragement yeah. to pay when you might abandon that car right. for yeah. whatever it is, jeans, mm-hmm. that trip to Bali or the Maldives mm-hmm. before it sinks, yeah. uh, it's underwater. <laughs> Uh, to, to bring up the to, br- to bring up the you know the climate thing, I mean it's 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 all this. It creates that sense of urgency yeah. that you can do something you may not have done given other uh, standard payment methods. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely out there. You know, I mean that, that's like the elephant which is there, and like you know each company you have to manage the customer demands, and at the same time you have to manage the partner experience at the same time, and also like these chargebacks, like basically refunding to the customers. That became a compliance thing. Like it becomes like yeah. by law you. The government said that you have to, you know, pay back because the customers cannot make the trip, for example. So you have to do that. But at the same time, you have to manage the demands from the partners. And that's where the companies come up with, like, innovative solutions and offerings where you can cater to both these things. So it, that is kind of a decision that each company would take differently based on which kind of a product it is. Okay. Right. Yeah. So just a step back. Yes, because you said Go something for it. that just okay. tweeted to your point around data, um, just to the last point I wanted to add around what I've seen emerging more was where you have travel businesses that are starting to partner back to the partnership with very uncommon or unusual sorts of other businesses. Because you would expect, say, a travel business to have partnership with the car rental. and uh, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hotel. Yeah, and then a bus company. Correct, co- yeah. Seeing that expanding to okay, now they're going to have, um, you know, partnership with like the museum or the theater and they yeah. just bundle a package and then that started to extend with actually ownership of, of certain art items. So like literally really kind of like diving into what does matter for the travelers when they're into that town, right? Because you bring them from one place to the other. Right. But what is really the purpose, if it's, whether it's business or not business or leisure, what is truly their, you know, what, how do they, they go about spending their time, right? So you started to see really completely non-travel-related partnership, which then created an ecosystem around that kind of loyalty because you're not fighting with mm-hmm. those other providers. You are actually creating value across the chain, right? So by bringing visibility in terms of some of the not necessarily like the car or the, mm-hmm. I don't know, the what, what else, the biking yeah. mm-hmm. and I don't know, the accommodations, you are starting to literally start not only, you know, inciting or bringing excitement to the travel because to your point, you're bringing items or, you know, elements in the package. They said, oh, 
find it interesting. I didn't think of that, or maybe I want to give it a try, right? right. So you're really starting driving uh, very different experiences that then create a, a whole new uh, ecosystem and value across the chain. Yeah. Right. And that's what was very much led by non-traditional travel kind of like a mm-hmm. partnerships, right? Yeah, and that's that's something which like booking already does. So for example, like if you book an accommodation, you will automatically get like, for example, oh, do you also want to book a flight? And as soon as you book a flight, you're like, okay, do you need a taxi from the airport to where yeah. you're going to stay now? So that's kind of how you use data, like, you know, tying back yeah, the, accommod- the property, like where you're going to stay, to the mm-hmm. airport, to the taxi, and it's all interconnected. And that is like, it basically helps you all manage the entire itinerary right over there. Yeah. So it's everything is on booking. There is a partner that you trust, uh, you know, that there's a brand value which is there. Mm-hmm. And it just makes life uh, simpler for a traveler. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that, that's what I was thinking when you were talking. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of, like the 360 experience yeah. is not just like the standard things, your flight, your hotel, mm-hmm. uh, it's your carbon offsets, but it's also like activities then. Yeah. It's like, yes. And then like, Actually, hey, but like, oh, yeah. well, you know, you've booked this type of thing three times. So maybe you like oh, theme parks yeah. or something like that. <laughs> so maybe let's give you a discount yeah. with a theme park if yeah. you yeah. book with your American Express card and booking or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So those sort of like the, it kind of brings the partnership and the yes. sort of, I guess mixing of all these different things and Absolutely. puts it into view, and I mean, then then you have the data on, yeah. ooh, maybe this combination's yeah. not good, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think the point there is that whilst travel was kind of something you didn't think about, right? It was part of your work, or you would just easily happily go and hop onto a short flight, like last minute package, mm-hmm. and just experience thing. After COVID, because we were all, you know, everything changed, right? In terms of our ways of approaching our life. So after COVID, when you looked at travel, you really wanted to have that being meaningful experience, right? Yep. Because it kind of brought so much other things in perspective, right? So to the point of, you know, people having saved first and foremost, so then being able to, you know, experience more things, but also to people that were not your traditional traveler that all of a sudden are starting to travel mm-hmm. or to use routes. Yeah, of course, yeah. because okay. it shifted all the data, all the expectations of your profile of customers, right? Because you have everybody's coming back into this with a very different mm-hmm. perspective. Some are just the usual business travelers uh-huh. who continue the journey. Some are the new pleasure that are nomads, yeah. mm-hmm. freelance, right. know, e-economy, mm-hmm. you need to cater for that. You'll say all the generation that would maybe typically go on a cruising, all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you know, they want to go hiking. Okay. Things like that. So, um, that was just like a comma, but the chargebacks, which was the point that we were in when we kind of like landed back ourselves into the, the data. Um, yes, absolutely. The chargeback, the profile of the fraud and mm-hmm. the issues that we see across mm-hmm. the ecosystem has changed. Right. What I think it's, it's not, some of it is new behavior, but what I think is actually a shift, a transitional shift in terms of where, when you see how charge was pre-COVID or even pre-e-commerce, predominantly, say, on the card machine, you scheme a call, like your mm-hmm. very traditional old ways of, of kind of like intercepting um, you know, data, to now with the sophistication of online platforms and all of the you know, security you know, parameters that they are there, and yet you have still people that are able to impersonate, you know, take over your account and pretend that you know, it's you or just kind of uh, you know, capturing the, the data information. So what we're seeing is that it's actually a sophistication and it's a transition. So some of it is like slightly new behavior, but it's something that is shifting. And if it's not happening, say, 
at the pulse or if it's not happening at the checkout, you know, it's happening somewhere in that online data access that then enable that, you know, fraudulent activity to take place maybe in a completely outside context. Like they would still hear, but they would actually go and spend in, I don't know, blockchain, crypto. <laughs> it becomes so complicated. It's so much, you know, it's, it's so much more complex, so much more sophisticated. The more we are enhancing the proposition, the more the foster are becoming sophisticated in the way they, you know, take or impersonate people that they're stealing um, data or profile from. So yeah, chargebacks, huge, huge, huge issue. And what I'm seeing is that it's now becoming an item that has a lot of priority. Whilst before you would come on the table and talk about your rates, mm-hmm. preferred rates and like connectivity, etc. Chargeback is actually almost kind of a driving agenda for switching providers. Whilst you wouldn't have something like that before becoming so prevalent that you would consider changing your right. infrastructure because you need that robustness in securities and yeah so mm-hmm. absolutely a, you know a whole new life of its own now yeah and now that sandra said blockchain i'm like oh. <laughs> <laughs> Like if imagine if all this data, uh, you know, everything was on blockchain, mm-hmm. and then everyone has, you know, like it's like out there, open sea, and then everyone can just view and have access. Uh, then it's like credible data that no one can modify, uh, yeah. and it's like immutable. And yeah, that would be a, one of the ways to avoid uh, this yeah. particular scenario where you know you can request a chargeback through the platform, and at the same time go yeah. to the, like, say for example, Mastercard and Visa, and now they both have done chargeback, and now the customers happy, but the other two yeah. people are like beep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but th- th- there's good news there, right? The schemes are bringing in, um, you know, new guidelines that essentially they're leveraging, you know, to the point of how data are tracked today. So you've got the technology with the fraud solution for prevention that are picking up on, you know, API, um, no API, um, like, yeah, it will come back. So they're picking all this information where they can look at the card information, they can see where the customer, the customer is making the purchase, they can see previous, you know, interaction, right? They can see previous attempt. So there's some kind of lean way whereby the schemes are like empowering a bit more the merchants. So mm-hmm. if they're able to, they, they can actually substantiate their evidence mm-hmm. through using those sorts of data that Mm -hmm. those fraud monitoring tools are bringing to evidence that this customer six months ago did did a legit transaction with that card or whatever Mm -hmm. and now six months later you can see same location, location and you know when, so the behavioral cues and all those so other that's location verification services so now the schemes are kind of like literally opening up to give a little bit more ways for the travel businesses to, to utilize what's at their disposal because let's not forget travel, specifically hospitality, yeah. they are the one that bearing post-COVID, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. irrespective of the circumstances, the no-show where people come, yeah. book, and they never intend to actually consume or they actually come and consume and claim back, that's yeah. huge in this space, right? you know, irrespective of COVID, right? So they are definitely, uh, I guess, the blueprint. Yeah. And <laughs> that's where, you know, like, uh, for even for these, uh, like, hotels or even someone, like, say, for example, if I have an apartment and I just put it on Airbnb, mm-hmm. so it really becomes important to, like, uh, bank with a brand, which uh, which can ensure that even in case of mm-hmm. no-show or late cancellation, you get paid. Because you already have all these services, like, if you want to uh, book a hotel anywhere, you can go on their website, official website, 
website and book a hotel. But at the same time, if I don't show, the hotel has no way to collect money from me. But in that same case, if the guaranteed payment is something which a platform like Booking would provide. Yep. Because even like even in cases of like a no-show, late cancellation, mm-hmm. there are ways that we how we guarantee and ensure that the partners in this case are paid. Mm-hmm. Again, I think data is kind of, you know, data adds to, uh, you know, gives in more information than you can uh, customize the experience that leads yeah. to a brand loyalty and that leads to less, it leads to target marketing, leads to brand loyalty, <laughs> leads to revenue, growth, yeah. and then eventually getting uh, competition from uh, other uh, businesses out there, you know, getting customers from the competition and getting them on board to your channel. <laughs> so that's what data does. That's the whole value chain. I could repeat that again. <laughs> We already talked about the non-traditional players, travel partners becoming yeah. partners. To me, that's an innovation, obviously. Sure. Like, yeah. So do we miss yeah. anything on uh, innovation and uh, Innovation and travel, travel payments. Okay, so for example, <laughs> <laughs> we were just discussing that, uh, you know, how it's customized, that you become accommodation, then it says, hey, do you need a flight? Do you need a taxi? Mm-hmm. Do you need uh, go, to go to the museum? And right. you book everything separately. Now imagine if it become a shopping cart. You could add everything in and it becomes one cart and you make one payment and everything is booked. So you create an itinerary over there and you make one payment. So that is like, I think, which is going to be an innovation in travel payments. Like one shopping cart. a game changer. Yeah, that really is. Huge game changer for sure. Well, what? She's opening a card. Well, we can't close off without mentioning a parallel to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Let's the group payments, the split payment side of things. Okay, on the consumer side, okay. Yes, whereby you like a group of people how many, how many times does that happen, right? Yeah, you just want to book together, but then when it comes to payment, you, one person has got to take yeah. all the yep. you know, exposure by yeah. buying with their own you know, payment method or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that is also yes. an option. And there's yeah. definitely some new players. We're not going to do name drop, but <laughs> say shout out to Hansen. Because <laughs> they are one of the ones that are coming in and doing some really great work in yes. terms of the, the group split. Group split. Yeah, the group. Yeah. That's also, that's really complicated. Yeah. Uh, the group yeah, like like group if I would job. go out with Elliot, I would not trust that he would pay me back. Yeah. Yeah. I need that split payment. <laughs> and, and you know how expensive, right? I mean, yeah. talking about it is. No, it is. It's like the, these huge sums of money that you have to pay for these things, especially when you're in a group. And then if you have a group also that maybe they make different currencies or like yeah, friends so from other it. countries, like yeah. I currently yeah. have, you know, we have a friend who pays in mm-hmm. Canadian dollars, friend who pays in British pounds, Friends who pay mm-hmm. in euros, yeah. trying to figure that Absolutely. all out when you're paying That's really for difficult. a group location. But some banks, like I bank with Bunk here, and they have the group payment thing yep. within their app. Of Which bank is that? Bunk, Bunk. is a, a Dutch neo bank, B U N Q. They also oh, they right. that's okay. one of their things is group payments. Right. Uh, I haven't used it yet because uh, well. none of my <laughs> friends, I guess, are on Bunk. <laughs> But you know, it's come on, it's, let's do it right now. Within this podcast, we're doing it's a, it. No, but that is a, that is a, obviously clearly a, a pain point, especially if you're going to book a big trip like that, yeah, like with all your definitely. friends. Like yeah. I, I would. Well, the thing is, I would never do that because I don't like traveling with people. You are either. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. But if I did, it, I would. I mean, I. But I wouldn't see. So like, it would never be but a concern if you for do, me. Yes. Huge concern and yes. great market I, that they yes. can get in. I try to sure. use my bunk thing uh, so we could split it automatically, split the payments. Like, yes. oh, it's five k, and everyone gets up. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, just send yeah. a push payment out to five people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the 
absolutely. Yeah. No, and while uh, you three were talking about it, I just went on the Bunk app just to see what this is about because I have a Bunk account. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, okay. and that's the beauty of fintech. Like it's so user friendly. Like we were mm -hmm. just talking about it, and it took like five, ten seconds to see that yes, that's there's option is yeah. out there. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I mean that like fintech is fintech, but it does not need to be tech. Like it yes. is tech, yes. and it's user uh, friendly. Everyone understands yes, it. Exactly. It's just beautiful. Every day or day to day payments, online, offline, everything. It's basically yeah. it's basically all yeah. powered by tech. Yeah, yeah, you don't think about it. It's the it's an experience, right? It's the UX, yes. right? Yeah. So. But I guess that, that's the whole point is like, especially with embedded finance, which we're not going to talk about, <laughs> that it's just there. I click, I say yes, mm -hmm. payment happens. I just have to make sure I have enough payment in my account. Well, then maybe with open banking, that'll come up too. It's like, okay, you're yeah. over, you're over, you can't pay for this. And then so you can top up really mm -hmm. quick from another account. And, and then circles back a little bit to like making it as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll make it easier for people to not just leave their carts open or make all of these bookings and things and like yeah. just mm -hmm. abandon the payment. Like yeah, yeah. you don't have to think Absolutely. about it. You can just Absolutely. boom, 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 done. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. the That's relevance is still key, yeah. right? Because, Absolutely. You, you know, like a shopping, you can do all of this, yeah. then you're confused then you're like no I'm right because you get the the option uh <laughs> yeah, paralysis yeah. Like, right, yeah there you go 15 options and you're like oh i'm not so sure now decision fatigue yes. yeah. there we go that's yeah. the that's the other one <laughs> well amazing thank you guys both for coming on uh sandra and Fragia. this was a great episode it's beautiful you've just been listening to paytech talk the podcast about payments paytech talk is brought to you by cognito amsterdam thanks for listening